No, his board prefect is not a ginger. Pyongyang, which uh, sounds like the noise when you uh, flick a ruler off the edge of a desk and then pull it inwards. It's romanticised alcoholism, which is absolutely fine. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and like the letters on the book, I am famously large and friendly. I'm John Bounds, and can I have six pints of bitter? And quickly, please, the world's about to end. And I'm Danny Smith, Gooznar. <laughs> we'll be devoting much of this week's episode to a character close to all of our hearts. But before we get there, there's a few more Fs to take care of. Flolloping is a way of moving that only a mattress can do. In a sort of meaning of lift kind of way, I wondered if you two had any similarly onomatopoeic terms for movement. Personally, I like a good jobble, which is when you take a large cat and rub your hands up and down its sides very quickly to make it jiggle, but like in a nice way, like, oh, I'll give you a little jobble. Oh, it's a little jobble. Oh, it's a little jobble. Uh, anyone? <laughs> yeah, that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a cat, though. Yeah, uh, I, I, I was, I was, um, well, uh, does clunk click, as in clunk click every trip, count as onomatopoeia? Oh, it's definitely uh, onomatopoeic, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I was struggling a bit with the, the whole onomatopoeia thing, and I was thinking, um, so all the, the ones I could think of, particularly the, the movement ones I can think of right now, stomp, clop, sort of uh, things like that, they're all, um, they're quite wet, aren't they? They don't... Uh, <laughs> No, well, you know, if you think about it, there, there's got to be. I do know certain, what you mean. There's got to be a dampness yep. in the um, in the thing to get to get them. We we don't have that many uh, sort of hard, uh, um, fast slapping movement type onomatopoeic things. And um, what about thud? Well, I think thud's quite um, thud's dull, isn't it? So it's like yeah. So it's quite. Um, I think that's quite wet. You want something well. more staccato? I do. Yeah, and the only one I like could, a thwack. Well, the only one I still think thwack has a certain bendiness in it because it thwack is <laughs> thwack is you're hit with a, um, a quite a long plank that's got a bit of give. So it's yes. like um, the only one I can think of, uh, and I may even have made it up or may have read it in a Roy the Rovers comic was what I'm called, what I'm going to call scrooge, which is how a, a, a football it's the back of a, a goal net that's got so it's sort of like sort of rattles down it rattles against the bits of netting. Scritch, uh, and then possibly thumps onto the ground or whomps off the person's foot or whatever. But a scritch. You do know this is a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy podcast, and the fact that you're trying to do like a football <laughs> um, observational comedy might fall a little short with both everybody involved and the re- listeners. Well, that, I was. Th- that's not observational comedy. That's that's genuinely the only sort of uh, harsh onomatopoeia of movement I could think of. How about scuttle? Scuttle's nice. He scuttled into the kitchen. But sc- scuttled is definitely damp, meaning as it does <laughs> to uh, deliberately sink a ship. Oh yeah. Uh, the uh, I had uh, had galump as well. Or is it galump? <laughs> I think it's galump. Would, yeah, galump. You would philolop a galump. The, uh, <laughs> my favourite, my my favourite onomatopoeia, though, of course, is uh, the only one which is also a uh, major world capital, uh, Pyongyang, which uh, sounds like the noise <laughs> when you uh, flick a ruler off the edge of a desk and then pull it inwards. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think that's uh, being a. Uh, uh, twanged off the edge of a desk is something that probably happens to a lot of dictators. Um, similarly, um, in in sort of a 
in an in an elastic underwear sense. Uh, sort of bloin is what happens when <laughs> you've got a muffin top and the the top of the elastic band of your underwear sort of flumps downwards as you bend and then doesn't come back up again. You know, you know that elastic little bit that's that sort of. If if you're not too big, it snaps back into place quite nicely. But if you're a bigger gentleman and you bend down, the little elastic band sort of just goes bloin, and then it doesn't it doesn't snap back into place, and that's a sign that uh, perhaps it's time to eat fewer cakes. Is this named after the uh, the gentleman in France who've had a few too many uh, pan au chocolat? One well, of my favourite bit of onomatopoeia ever: uh, gargoyle. Oh, okay. Gargoyle is what the is the noise that the French think that water makes coming out of a spout, and that's what gargoyles are for, weren't they? They're to hide yeah. uh, trains, things. Yeah. So gargoyle, 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 that 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 is that is gargoyle. Similarly, my favourite uh, French onomatopoeic term is cliche, which is from where we get cliche because it was the uh, sound of keys uh, on a typewriter. Cliche. Ooh, that's nice. Mmm. And now, won't you come fly with me? There is an art, the guide says, or rather a knack to flying, which lies in learning how to throw yourself at the ground and miss. When I first, um, when it first hit me that Adams had put flying into his universe, I was a bit perturbed. Danny, given that he put so much work into creating the Babel fish and the Vogons in order to explain various ways in which the galaxy works, does this sit comfortably among them, or is it a bit of a cheat? Right. Okay. Um, I can see what you mean, but when you think about the rest of his stuff and kind of the way that uh, there is a literal logic to a lot of the work, so I'm going to refer back to how uh, the existence of God is proven by his very existence. <laughs> so it's that literal taking of sixth form logic for humor uh, and those um, inconsistencies and the things that contradict themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So it does kind of fit into that. Mm. So in the same way that um, Schrodinger's and Cat is both alive and dead in that thought experiment, but in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it would be a both alive and dead cat walking the, ro- walk the world being perceived by as both like, he would do a lot with that. Mm. Knowing full well what the thought experiment was about, obviously, <laughs> but being able to take that idea and run with it for comedic effect. So it does, I think it does fit into that. It's a sort of a, a, a truth uh, universal that uh, a man, a woman uh, in need of a man, no, um, no, that uh, flying and time travel ruin all universes <laughs> because they uh, remove um, restrictions. And it's nice that though flying and time travel are in the Hitchhiker's universe, they're not overused. They're sort of things that exist. They're also very dangerous. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's possibly a very clever thing. So I was thinking my favourite, the, the whole flying thing is completely and utterly plot inconsequential, apart from when Arthur gets hit by a party in the back. Yes. It's, yeah, so the, the, it, could, it could totally be removed. And I see what you mean, Mark. But um, it's not overused and... There's a there's a good few jokes in there. I think it's also kind of nice that Arthur gets this one pure wonderful thing as a consequence for uh, as a consequence for his planet exploding and him escaping it. Like there are often moments of small little victories, but only uh, victories involved 
involved in the plot, there's nothing that's for him. And that, that moment of flying is, is a real, is a real victory for him as a person. It's something that he wouldn't have experienced otherwise. It's something that he appreciates completely and utterly. So I think it's, I think it's a nice little present to Arthur as a character. Yeah, it's also something that the other characters don't get to take away from him. You know, they they the the ship and his and his sort of for want of a better term crewmates kind of destroy his love for tea and Ford kind of you know constantly denigrates his love for cricket and doesn't understand it. Uh Zaphod, you know, denigrates his entire race and thinks he's stupid. But flying is one thing that he actually gets to do that the other people can't spoil, which is quite nice. Maybe there's no one's particularly found a practical purpose for it, you know. So it's kind of so no one, um, no one else is bothering. It's not a quicker way to get down the shops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah. It doesn't really make commuting that much quicker, and presumably it's going to use some some energy. Uh, so yeah, it's not like it has actually that many practical implications uh you know for you you just feel bad for those people who have fallen out of airplanes and haven't seen a bag um that they left in a greek supermarket or whatever it is and now this on the fourth world of the Folfanga system can be found a slug of the genus a earth uphill ipdenu which uh, wowbagger the infinitely prolonged made it part of his uh, mission to insult Wowbagger had planned to call one of these creatures a brainless prat, which is frankly a bit derivative. So I wondered whether, John, you could help workshop a better insult for a small slug. We can help. Um, now, uh, Wowbagger's a great character and the concept is really wonderful. Um, even though he's uh, infinitely prolonged and has, in the- and has the gift of time travel, so can, in theory... Uh, visit every uh, living entity in the universe in alphabetical order. Has he got enough time to personalise bespoke artisan insults for every creature, though? Uh, Or is is language simply too restrictive? And is he he calling a lot of them uh, brainless prats? I don't know. And for some species, that's probably true. So are they... they, uh, are they even um, upset about it? So insults, and Danny's probably, uh, I think so Danny's one who's quite good at this. I was thinking insults are best when they uh, cut to what people suspect about themselves. You know, in the same way uh, we often hate most in others, the thing that we, things that we recognise in ourselves and don't like. Uh, so I'm in a work situation. I hate people being bloody lazy with full knowledge that I won't do a, damn stroke of work unless they absolutely <laughs> have to um so it's um so what is it about this slug uh what 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 is unsettling this slug what keeps him awake in the in the small hours of the night dan you might have some insight right what well, i thought the first things that i i thought was like to call him spineless and slimy right but he's a slug and in the slug world being spineless and slimy is probably quite a compliment because that's the essential slugginess of the situation. Oh, the idea, I hate I hate that uh, Dave slug down the road. He's got a bloody spine. Oh, look at him; he's so he's so rigid and and dry. So yeah, you'd have you'd have to you'd have to go against the essential slugginess of the situation. There's no way you could um, there's no way you could use what what, what as a human you would find insulting. Um. 
So, yeah. God, look at that salt-loving prick. <laughs> salt that slug. The, um, well, maybe, maybe the uh, sort of reverse insult is, uh, so obviously, uh, you may have heard that, um, uh, centrist people in uh, the UK Labour Party are referred to as slugs. Uh, maybe you have to uh, call him, I don't know, Yvette Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps uh, slugs, when they're using Twitter, like, do they have, um, do they put, like, certain brackets around their names? Oh, to indicate which... Uh, <laughs> well, that's which to distract. Fashion, which, which, which subspecies of slug they are. So, actually, on the, the whole species thing, um, are we to understand that our friend Wabag he's only going to insult one slug of this genus or does he have to go through all of them maybe you know how you shelve your books in alphabetical order but when they're by the same author then they have to go either in chronological order or something that has to be a sort of secondary dimension to it um does he have to go through all of the slugs of a earth uphill if dentu uh, maybe in um, I don't know birth order or something. That's that's a hellish job, and a lot of uh, slug insults needed all at the same time. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, I, 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 the, the boring answer is that he he only decided to do one of them. <laughs> um, useless, yeah. man. Useless. I know. Absolutely, absolutely. He's a jerk. What a what an absolute <laughs> brainless prat. Yeah. Um, we, when we get on to W, actually, we've we've got a nice special thing that. Um, that Russell Parker uh, got in touch with us on Twitter, suggesting that we should find a way of creating a Twitter bot um, that effectively goes through everyone on Twitter and issues them a random insult. <laughs> or just could be dangerous. It could just what could be what uh, Donald Trump's actually doing. Exactly. Uh, and now it's time to relax and enjoy your shoes. The Foot Warriors are robots intent on keeping all bipedal life from the ground. They're all dressed in expensive shoes that don't fit them, so they constantly limp or fall over. We meet them in the second radio series, and they're pretty ineffective. I just have one question for you, gents. Are there any robots in the Hitchhiker's universe that are actually any good at anything? I'd say there probably are, but they're not worth noting. So um, technology is best when it's seamless and unmentionable. It just kind of fits into your life. Yes, absolutely. Nobody walks in um, to work in the morning and go, wow, my coat was really good at keeping me warm. Yeah, that revolving door really did get me into the building. Yeah. It often does. <laughs> yeah. So that's... that's um, so we're saying that I think... I can think of a, a couple of robots that do quite well. And a lot of them, we also don't necessarily know what they were uh, programmed to become. So Marvin, beco- Marvin becomes a companion that uh, the rest of the crew actually quite like. Um, so is that what he's for, or is he actually meant to move bits of paper or or whatever he's um, or bring he, the aliens take- to the bridge? Yeah, that's sort of thing. Deep Thought's too good at its job. The cricket robots are very good at their job. Yes, yes. The guide, to, the guide two is successful. I've never counted yeah. that as a robot. It's a Colin it's a technology. I mean, Co- so, you know, Colin got hacked, but that wasn't his fault. He was still good at his job, I guess. So um, the ro- the term robot uh, is Czech, isn't it? Robota, uh, which means slave. forced labour uh, or slave. So um, it's from an old uh, place. So I was thinking that in the same way that you don't recognise um, things as being technology when they just work, I think we don't recognise things as being robots when they fall into commonplace usage. So do you remember that whole thing about robots taking over car production uh, about 20 years ago? So on the track at uh, Rover now, or whatever it's called, um, the uh, um, BMW Mini or whatever. So, 
yeah, so they um those ro- those what we used to call robots on the track. We didn't go, oh no, those robots are uh, over there taking those jobs, making those cars. But so now now we're talking about things being robots that either ape uh, humans or I think actually more we're thinking about them when they're making decisions. So um, I don't know, maybe, but they don't. I don't. I don't know. Robot is a lazy word that us uh, uneducated humans are using. They probably don't use it actually in the uh, in the guide universe very much. It's probably quite insulting. I was going to say, yeah, it's probably quite reductive. One of the things that I did think about is that um, because technology has been around for a very long time in space, there's probably a lot of old tech about. So the robots that are mentioned aren't necessarily the latest working wonderful tech. Ah. It's probably just detritus and leftover tech or as uh john said uh skip tech yes it's the windows xps and the windows vistas that are still they haven't been that still yeah they're, they're still in around which actually and when you think of it like that it's actually quite a rich universe that, that it shows many generations of, of of tech because it shows uh iterations of uh developments of uh different um cultures yeah so the cricket robots themselves are thousands of millennia old aren't they so maybe that's why they uh maybe that's why they can't be reasoned with they haven't got those decision making skills they can't be made to feel uh depressed but it's probably um, it's probably also why they do a good job they do their job well because they were programmed to do a very specific number of things and they didn't have constant uh they you know they weren't being built by a company that was under pressure uh, to meet a marketing deadline every year and so just kept tacking on features that people didn't want, uh, which then resulted in bug after bug after bug and years of technical debt. Uh, I'm not thinking of any company in particular, Apple. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it just so happens that that's not a problem that these robots would have had in the galactic equivalent of, like, the 70s when you installed software on a thing and then you left it the crap alone. It, do- it does <laughs> suggest that... Um that Adams was maybe hinting at uh, that sentience is a problem. Mm. I mean, that's the whole thing with Marvin, isn't it? If he wasn't sentient, he wouldn't have the existential dread and depression that he has. But it was bad. It was bad sentience because I, I, um, because deep thought was sentient. Uh, but he was so, he was built, obviously built so well by the, um, trans-dimensional uh, mice that that's a problem he never suffered from but marvin was always running bad software he was a personality prototype so presumably he was he was either well he was he was um, made by the serious cybernetics corporation which we have to assume existed after the trans-dimensional mice created the robot because it was seven and a half million years so it it's it, it's not as simple as progress because you've you've got one one machine that was built to be incredibly intelligent and was and was also self um ha- had self knowledge and then you've got seven seven million years later you end up with serious the serious cybernetics corporation uh who are you know a, a sort of an amalgam back then were an amalgam or, or an allegory for for IBM um that effectively just put out crap and are not good um and so yeah every, everything old is new again i think these these ideas still permeate because when 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 i first um 
when I first heard the heard the the radio series, I always equated serious cybernetics with Microsoft, which was not a thing that existed when Adams wrote the books, but they uh, wrote the series. But the, it was it was incredibly prescient for a company like Microsoft at the time, who did put out that kind of software. It was clippy of its day. Well, bringing it back to when he was actually writing, he he probably wasn't thinking of. Um, com- Computer corporations, or whatever. He was probably thinking, as I just was, of uh, of um, Rover as uh, British Leyland as they were then. That was the kind of joke, you know. That you've got different type of uh, technology companies. Cars were technology still, probably then, um, and some of them are just crap. <laughs> but it it does. I mean, I'm I'm kind of stuck on this uh, philosophical loop. So uh, maybe the difference between Deep Thought and uh, Marvin is that Deep Thought was occupied with a thing worthy of its uh, capabilities. That's a brilliant point. And Marvin never was. Absolutely. So what is, Ad- what is Adam saying about human consciousness? Um, l- like when we're occupied by small tasks or, or inconsequential thoughts, we're, we're deeply unhappy. But when we have a purpose, we, we're not. And that's um, further explored with Colin. I know, as we talked about with um, Colin, all you've got to do with Colin is make him happy. Yeah. Yes. Very good. And now to the main event. Ford Prefect is Arthur's best friend. His original name is only pronounceable in an obscure Betelgeusean dialect, now virtually extinct since the great collapsing Hurung disaster, which wiped out all of the Praxel, Be- uh, Praxel Beetle communities on Betelgeuse 7. We, we nearly got there. His loyalty to his friends doesn't have much of a backbone, but does fight to protect the things he loves and to annoy or destroy the things that he doesn't. So, what are some of our favourite things about Ford? Now, I've been I've been re- reappraising uh, Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and doing a reading through this filter. Now, I know that Adams probably wasn't using this filter. It's just an interesting exercise for me. So, I've mentioned it before. Like, I I suspect, or I I like to think of Adams using Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a way of explaining Englishness to the non-English. Uh, so you've heard that... I've, I've mentioned this before, right? Um, so I was thinking about where Ford Prefect fits in. And the way that I'm reading Ford Prefect that is most pleasing to me at the moment is that Arthur and Ford are two sides of the same coin of Englishness. So Arthur is everything that's not great about being an Englishman, but Ford is. So here's a list of terms um, when I was Googling around that, um, that, Ford, that, that people use to describe Ford. So this is a list so you can uh, jump in and, and, and disagree or, or, or agree. So urbane, uh, witty, likeable, unflappable, uh, eccentric, broad-minded, off-key and dark sense of humour. These are all the things that the English like to think about themselves, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, and those are, those are all the things. And, and the other great thing that I've added on at the bottom, which, is, uh, which makes him a, a, a brilliant Englishman, is that he's also an immigrant. Yes. I, I think there are times when Ford exhibits some of those things, but I wouldn't necessarily call him generally unflappable, for example. It's... Um, it's yeah, but that's that is also the fact that what could be, what could be a very um, dull 
straightforward character is actually imbued with a, a bit of depth when you know there's a there's a lot of love going into that yeah well i mean if somebody's unflappable if you're an author at some point you're going to have to flap him this i think the one that was thinking about a thing about um for that i really liked and um he's the only one that stays gamefully employed for most of the series, everybody else either loses their job, leaves their job, has their job uh, destroyed by the Vogon constructor fleet. But um, yeah, he's a man. He's a man with a job. He doesn't do it particularly well, uh, <laughs> but he's but he's got one. He, that makes him an Englishman, definitely. That's definitely I always true. I, I like as well that in the same way that Arthur's always looking for a cup of tea, um, Ford's always looking for a drink, like a drink, drink. Yeah, very much that's so. Just, that's just alcoholism, right? Yeah, which, which, which is um, which is a fine English trait. I, I, yeah, it's I, rom- it's romanticised alcoholism, which is absolutely fine. Yeah, he's um, yeah, so he's a man who's very self-contained. But in, in your list, was there cool, Dan? I think uh, I think I think Urbane co- covers cool. Yeah. So in the um, in the book, now I it's been a long time since I read part of it where he was physically described, which I think is for the first time, which is only when he's right at the right at the start of the first book. I remember the, in the original illustrations, which I assume were taken from the descriptions, he was ginger. No. Yes. No, he's, the, the board prefect is not a ginger. I think he might be. I think he might be a sort of, like, Ed Sheeran that's been put into a, uh, a blazer and strategically How fucking de- How very dare you, sir. Ed Sheeran Ford Prefect. Well, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just thinking of an uncool ginger. If it was been five years ago, I'd have gone straight for Mick Hucknall. <laughs> I will fight you for very suggesting this, the, the thing. I'm fair. I'm fairly sure. Uh, maybe we can find a link and uh, a picture of the uh, the illustrations to show. But I'm fairly, fairly sure that the um, the original illustrations show him essentially with a little bit of uh, male pattern baldness as well. Okay, I, I I'll stand that. Ginger, sir. Well, I'm got, I, I, I think that's, you know, me, him, Prince Harry. You know, it's like 3 nil <laughs> to the ginger boys here. So I think we're um, we're doing all... And John, obviously, as well. Uh, shout out to uh, our fellow ginger. But I don't, I don't know. Does that make him less cool? Hickman's not ginger. Oh, he is. Hickman's not ginger. I mean, apart from the Royals, <laughs> you don't get posh ginger people for a kick. Yeah, he, he will <laughs> fight you for calling him posh. <laughs> so... Ford Prefect, right? Or Ford Escort, as it's called in the French and Greek translations. Well, this is this is the interesting thing. Did you get the gag? I didn't get the gag. No, no before. No, I was, I was. We were all. Yeah, we were all too young to get the gag. So the so the car was so, but the the gag. It's a particular sort of gag, isn't it? Because Prefect has its own meaning, and Prefect means you know knows a little bit more about the situation, a little bit more experience, probably lots of connotation. Yeah, it. older boy. So yeah. So if he was, um, if it was, if it was done slightly more modern, Ford Fiesta it changes it a little bit. Ford Escort, <laughs> yeah, no, or, uh, in the Greek and uh, French versions, he was translated as Ford Escort, so they would get it. And in in the film, it's never said, even though the car that nearly hits him in the in the sequence is a Ford Prefect. <laughs> it is mentioned in the credits, but it's never mentioned in the film. Did that lessen anything for us? Because I think I, it was, it was, I, I think I'd read at least three of the books, possibly listened to the first radio series before. And I, and I even read the bit where it's explained 
that he took uh, the name because he, th- he misread what the dominant species on the, the planet was. Yeah, which I think might be a retcon um, because, as, you know, as, as we've said many times, the radio series came first. And so whether he did, he just didn't have time for the explanation and it was cut, um, I don't know because it feels to me like a gag that was retconned. It feels to me like it would just be funny to call him Ford Prefect because um, Ford is a name that people use um and you know and then prefect could be a surname like that's the thing it kind of does work as a, a as a name um and so i i could see that being a, the kind of gag that he would have chuckled to himself at and then when it came to the books because you go you get to go into greater detail and, and in some cases you have to maybe he then thought okay well let's come up with an actual backstory for why he might be called this I, I always marvelled at the fact that his surname was perfect but spelt badly, <laughs> and I still get that sense. Like it's got nothing to do with the car; it's the fact that that like perfect spelt wrong. That's that's what makes me very happy. I'm fairly sure I've read it as perfect for quite some time, um, because a prefects. What's that? I don't know. I think I was too young to even know what a, what a prefect was, even though we had them at school. But uh, just a, they were just a, a group of tall boys with badges that stopped you going into the uh go to the toilet yes exactly so yeah now na- like nowadays it would be something like the for- he'd, he'd be called someone like ford ecosport or ford ka or ford mondeo uh which just doesn't have the same ring i think what's nice about prefect is the fact that he is urbane and and for want of a better word cool and he's just got a not a cool name and it's it's just it's not the connotations of prefect i think it's actually in in the kind of onomatopoeic thing that we were talking about earlier, prefect is just a kind of, it's not a cool sounding, it, it doesn't have that aerodynamicness of a word like Mondeo does. And a word even like fiesta, fiesta has a flourish to it and prefect just doesn't. And I think that works really well as a gag. And for someone who is essentially an alien um, that is, you know, that is experienced and worldly and, and, you know, a higher status character and, and, you know, cool and all the rest of it. He just has a patently uncool name. I think that that works really well. Yeah. And it's covered by, uh, by the fact that he's an out of work actor. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is a nice, which is a nice kind of B side to, uh, Arthur who works, also works in the media, but gainfully employed, but never actually recognized. So in the, in the later books, uh, when the the plot expands a little bit and it's less, uh, it less shows its sitcom roots and it less shows that all the characters have to be in the same place at the same time to bounce off each other. I remember being quite disappointed when it was a Ford bit. Uh, I I think um, I mean he's not very much in uh, in some of them, but it's like. Um, I think oh yeah, I, there's the particularly the bit about him sort of bumming around um, California. Uh, in a little bit looking for change. I go, this doesn't work for me. I'm not interested. In that sense, he feels a little bit like um, like Jack Kerouac in sort of On the Road. Um, There's a sort of privilege, a sort of uh, he knows he's never going to uh, get, you know, die uh, here because he's got his, um, you know, electronic thumb and he's not of this planet and he knows a little bit more and he can do the um, I'm from billions of light years away at times of stress look uh, type thing, um, so he, he felt he felt to me that whether or not he had jeopardy in his situation, 
um, he wouldn't feel it. He could, oh, he's like, you know, the sort of mo- daddy's boy can go home at any time, sort of thing. But Adams, a- Adams admits himself that he uh, struggled with Ford towards the end of the series because he was such a I never say this word right, dilettante. Oh, we've had this. We've had this discussion before because I said dilettante because that is actually how Jeffrey McGiven says it when he when he's playing Ford. Um, but other people say dilettante. There is a David Devant and his Spirit Wife song called "Dangerous Dilettante," and that's how they say it as well. So I, I'd go. With but that. you guys, you you and John Hickman laughed at me uh, when I said dilettante, and and you did it privately. You were sniggering, and then when it came up, one of you was brave enough to say, "I don't think that's how you say it," and you made fun of me. So. Pfft. <laughs> well, um, Adam says that uh, he always found Ford a bit of a dilettante, so um, the, his motivations to join in with anything was just that. He was only ever joining in. Yeah, and and that that gets directly addressed in the third book. He's you know he says we're we're dilettantes, layabouts, fart arounds, if you will. Um, and yeah, like it, it is it is directly addressed that they're not driven. Neither of them are driven by anything. And and that's the whole thing, you know, in that third book, they're dragged along for reasons best known to someone else by Slarty Bartfast. Um, but they have they don't do anything under their own steam. And they're, they're both like that, really. So who's your who's your best forward? I was um, I'm I'll, I'll let you two go for it. But I have I have a definite opinion. OK, um, I, I think I, I, I suspect we're probably going to land on roughly the same spot. I mean. There's always going to be a place in my heart for Jeffrey McGiven because he was my first Ford. Um, and the the TV series, I think it was a real shame that um, that Simon Jones continued from the radio series through to the TV series, but Jeffrey McGiven didn't because he apparently looked too ordinary. Um, and so they got a weirder looking bloke to do it and it never worked for me. Uh, it just, it, it didn't quite scan uh, because he wasn't, he didn't have an air of cool, which, as McGiven played it in the radio series, you got that sense um, that actually there was a there was a you know you, you could keep a side of beef in him for a month. Um, you're totally you're totally right there, Mark. I was going to say that David Dixon is a little bit it. too minor Doctor Who. Yes. Even in the outfit. Yes, really. absolutely, um, absolutely right. And yeah, I mean that that whole series, I think, smacked of uh, the you know this being the same outfit that that produced basically kids tv um but i think uh because we, we you know in terms of visual representations were were limited uh i i think most def does a does a great job wonderful wonderful he is he knows he's so cool that he can act like a complete div yeah like and he i does. like the fact that being being you know formerly a, a rapper he wasn't too concerned with trying to still be a rapper when he was actually do you know what i mean like when he was portraying the role he was he wasn't afraid to actually be a bit quirky and a bit interesting he wasn't just trying to be uh you know ll cool j or 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 whatever the young people like um he actually he actually became an act like a, a real actor uh, it's just a shame that he's he still had a silly name like obviously he's, he's dropped the the silly name and grown up now but like um, he he actually was like a legit actor, which is which is really good. Um, and you know he he played it he played it super well. It was it was like Bullseye, wasn't it? It was like you're cool, that's safe, right? That's safe. 
Now you can act excited and interested, yeah, and and quirky and weird without worrying about that. Yeah, he he definitely he definitely brought all that to to the role. So I saw um I saw the um stage show of the radio script. Oh, lovely! Uh, a year or two back, I, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. Um, I'm trying to remember who we got as the book. Oh, we had Roger McGough as the book. Uh, it was um, it was because it, it was a different book at each theatre. Oh, much okay. as they toured it around the country. Who essentially whoever had lived local and uh, they could get in. I remember. I think Andrew Sachs did it a few times. Uh, different people as it as it went around. We had uh, we had Roger McGough, the Liverpool poet, and he was really excellent. And Jeffrey McGiven, I think it was the first time I saw him really sort of act. Mm. Uh, saw him act rather than heard him act and he was really really good he was the standout um, performer I thought and um, he's been brilliant in the uh, back on Channel 4 again recently I think that's his best role in a long time because he's just he inhabits that like a like a dressing gown like Arthur's dressing gown it's just like it fits him like an absolute glove in that age of life that stage of life that he's in I was going to say I think he's got um, more weird and alien, maybe as looking yes, yes. as he's got older. Yeah, the male pattern baldness helps. Just give him a little bit of a, a ginger rinse, and we've got the character back, man. And with that, we have to call it a day. Danny, where can people find you on the internet? Okay, right. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I wrote a book. Oh, I did. I wrote a book with uh, with John uh, there over over there on the over the side. over the other side of the audio. Yeah, um, and uh, we at Christmas offer a very special offer on the book. If you do buy the book, we send you a bunch of other really interesting uh, internet stuff that is attached to it. If you uh, just contact us, so the book is called Peer Review. If you uh, if you just go over to Amazon or wherever you buy books and, and look up P E no P I E R. <laughs> You wouldn't believe how often I had to correct that as we wrote 100,000 words on it. <laughs> I still get it wrong. I, I actually bought the domain name wrong the first time as well. <laughs> um, if you go to peerreview.com, is it calm, John? No, .co.uk. .co.uk. Um, and then, it's also uh, in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Go follow that ad, and you can find out how you can buy our wonderful book and, uh, and get some lots of lovely goodies as well. Which we should be- say the book is um, the book is an exploration of the of the peers of England and, and Wales, um, all all of the working pleasure peers of England and Wales. So if you are interested in Ingliana, uh sure, let's go with that. Then, yeah, no, um, that will be something that you will enjoy and will make a smashing Christmas present. Books are very easy to wrap. If not, I'm on uh, I'm on the old Twitters as probably drunk. John! Oh, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, Bounder, you'll find me. Yeah, and, and also get the book. You know, doubly. Just, yeah, just, get, the book, just any other... Get two books. I can't think of, any, can't think of yeah. any other books that you should buy apart from just that just that one well that just about wraps it up for the leopard you can find the show at btlpodcast.com along with all of our contact details drop us an email to feedback at btlpodcast to share your forward thoughts and don't forget to subscribe to the show in your podcast app just search for beware of the leopard and if you have a moment do please rate and review our show on apple podcasts or wherever you listen it helps people find the show and makes us feel all hoopy We'll be back next Thursday, so until then, share and enjoy.
Uh, and now it's time to relax and enjoy your shoes. Oh, there we go. Better out than in. <laughs> the Foot Warriors, a robot. I know. I'm going to have to edit that. 